this is not restless. Okay, I know you just want to get to the show, but I'm actually here to tell you that there's a way that you can get even more restless in your life. You can do that by going to patreon.com backslash the restless podcast, where there are three different ways, starting at just $3 a month, that you can both support this show and at the same time get even more content. At least one extra episode a week and often more. Not to mention the Restless Telegram channel that you'll have access to 24-7 to interact with all the other patrons. If you want more Restless in your life, this is the way. Go to patreon.com backslash the Restless Podcast. Okay, back to the show. This is Restless. Pastor Michael, should this be a special episode? Should this be a Patreon episode? Who knows? But we are back. We are back. It needs to finish. Is what is what it needs. It doesn't need to come to an end. That's why I had to cut us off. Um, so for all of you who didn't just uh, hear what we did 10 seconds ago, it's been a week <laughs> or a few days. We are working on finishing the Amil post-mill debate between Doug Wilson and Keith Foskey. And we stopped because Pastor Michael made an one, just a really excellent point about the need for faithfulness, right? That that he that a lot of these eschatological views end up seeming to relate more to my read of the world around me than what the scriptures um impress upon me is my duty when we think about what the end times is supposed to motivate us to obedience faithfulness ready to see jesus face to face right is that am i getting generally right what you are you were leaving us at and i think you're totally right yeah yeah i mean i just think if you read the specific references in the new testament that we think of as eschatological texts some of which may be some of which i think maybe we misunderstand yeah um, all of them actually say the same things they yep. actually they speak to the same thing the same kind of characteristics that you should be um, seeking to grow in knowing that you are going to um, stand before Christ or knowing that it's not going to happen in the time frame that you think it's going to happen. And um, and that a lot of the transition of popularity of uh, end times theologies appears to actually more match people's current personal experience rather than some kind of exegesis, yep. which is certainly the case, right? In this time where it seemed like like the West literally wasn't going to fight any more wars um, and the wealth and industry was going to just keep propelling them forward, post-millennialism became the incredibly dominant view. And then after two world wars and the sexual revolution, uh, pre-mill dispensationalism become the predominant view because get me out of here, Lord Jesus. There are too many hippies and they're ruining everything, right? <laughs> That's I so I, I've said this before. I think it tracks um, actually industrialization and the rise of industrialization when it seemed like, man, are we just killing it? And like everything's all productivity is increasing. Everything's amazing. And then when everything hit where it was like, actually, this is completely upended and destroyed the social order and social fabric of the country. And like uh, then all of a sudden it's like, oh, no, everything's actually really bad and everything's falling apart. And it's really interesting if you track it along these lines. 
And while the, um, well, Roman Catholicism now calls itself amillennial, but, and while the medieval church would have never used the term amillennial, that appears to basically be what their view would most reflect. And you can understand how that would be attractive in a place where you basically believe where the cultural view of the world is the world has kind of always been this way. The church and whatever governing structure I'm in is basically God's will for how the world exists. And I'm just to fulfill my role in this kind of unchanging, right? This stable world um, under God, you can understand how that would be um, the, the kind of amillennial view would be that these things are how they've been and how they will be until Christ returns. You can understand how that'd be attractive in that cultural environment. Now, now I get to now I get to explain to everyone why I ended it with we got him, folks. Why we got Pastor Michael. He's jumping on board the Amil army, guys. I didn't say this, everybody. All He's 10 coming. of you. <laughs> Don't get excited, guys. Because I actually started, I have I think there's an interesting potential answer as to why everyone thinks they're at that critical hinge moment of history of why they're in the last days. Um, and I do think what you are saying is the exact right remedy to what, to help people not lose their minds, right? To help people not lose their minds and sell everything because the rapture is happening in 10 minutes, right? Um, to not be caught up in, in things, to not lose focus, to not think right now, um, if I'm not getting blasphemy laws passed in my county, I'm doing something wrong. Um, but everyone does seem to believe they're at that moment, um, right? The Reconstructionists did, post-millennial, right? Like, we again, we can use, we can literally just continue. The Reformers believed they were at the end of history as well. And part of why they began to have really negative relationships with the Jews was because the the Protestants believed they were the revival that they thought Revelation mentioned at the end of time, which meant the next thing that was going to happen was the conversion of the Jewish people. And they went in fairly good faith to evangelize the Jews. And you know what didn't happen? There was not any mass conversion, yep. which uh, was they now literally believe this group of people were preventing the return of Christ. Um, and so again, this, this is all over the place historically. And I think if I can give an answer, my answer would be last days as we're defining it eschatologically. Now, again, there is a way where Jesus talks about the end coming on Jerusalem that I, I'm not speaking about. But for example, when Hebrew says, in these last days, he's spoken to us according to his son. When Joel says, in the in those last days, the spirit will be poured out on all flesh, right? Mm -hmm. These eschatological uses of the term last days, um, which is how a lot of the New Testament seems to use it. And this is also probably everyone wondering why I don't consider myself a partial preterist, even though I would agree with uh, probably Michael and I would read a lot of the, a lot of things, especially in Jesus' teaching about the temple, as referring to the destruction of Jerusalem without much disagreement. Um, because I take the term last days eschatologically, and by that I mean um, referring to something beyond just the end of Jerusalem, uh, that's, why I, that's why I don't own the term partial preterist. Not because I don't like anything they do or I think they're all wrong, but because 
I want to, I don't want to confuse them. You know, I just don't want to be confusing. I'm just trying to, ex, you know, explain. I think last days, according to the apostles, the last days are after Jesus spoke. The last days refer to the spirit born porn out. I think, and this is very much Michael Kruger's read of it. And maybe that's why I'm persuaded of it. The last days are a kind of time that Christ inaugurates, not an amount of time. That Jesus' death and life and pouring out the Spirit are so powerful because now, eschatologically, there's nothing else God has to do to consummate the world. And so we live in this time, and, and those filled by the Holy Spirit, we understand we live in this revelatory time. We live in this incredibly significant time. We live in the last days. We live in this time where the spirit is so active and Jesus power is so potent. It, we can associate it with the last days because we know the there is something coming. And the next thing God will do in history will be this cataclysmic change, right? Will be the appearing of the Lord, right? Or, you know, again, post-millennial, we might say the start of the millennium, however you want to say it, right? These kinds of things, because we inherently have that spiritual sense. The problem is we associate it with a, an amount of time, not a kind of time, right? The way Greek uses different terms for time, that there's this like, there's the normal daily time. And then there's this like the history making kind of time. And that's the kind of time I think we're talking about. And also, I think what Peter is trying to correct when he says a day with the Lord is like a thousand days. Why is he, why does he have to? explain that because i think he's trying to clarify when i'm using the term last days i'm not i'm not necessarily using tomorrow um and actually it's interesting people often think the apostles were wrong that jesus was going to arrive while they were alive and i do think part of the explanation is the explanation partial preterists give which is they expected jerusalem to be destroyed by in Christ judging right. it. The end of the age is not referring to the end of all human history as we know it. And um, and and so I think that explains some of it. I also think they had a version of eschatology um, that th when they're using this kind of eschatological terminology, um, even though it might have it might have temporal like they might use temporal language they're describing something beyond. And obviously now I've basically just described on millennialism, right? That since Christ came, the only final eschatological event to happen will be his return. Right. And that we live in the age of that fruitfulness of the gospel, right? That, that is on millennialism. And that's why I think we got him everybody because it's, you didn't get me. You didn't get uh, me for several reasons. Uh Oh, uh, then we'll go because I don't. So I, I've been thinking about this. I, so I don't know. I don't know how to answer this. Just, I mean, just completely honestly. Um, I don't know that I'm ready to say, okay, there's nothing else that has to happen. I don't, but I, you know, um, but this is why, because it's in, in my reading of the new Testament, um, what we have is, um, basically the, the seed of all of human history, right? Or like the, the uh, everything in principle has taken place, but not everything in history has taken place as 
as God would have it. So, um, uh, for in, you know, for instance, um, I do think that uh, we read in the New Testament enough, and I know we've disagreed about this before. I don't know if we've ever talked about this on the podcast, um, but I do think that, um, for instance, the the schema of the the salvation of the world in the New Testament includes uh, the the you know uh, grafting into the Gentiles, but in part so that the Jews would be grafted back in, so that all the people of the earth would in a sense be grafted into the people of God, right? All, all yep. nations, all tongues, all languages. Um, and, and I don't, I don't think I'm ready to say that that is actually something that took place already, right? Like that's already taken place. Um, I'm trying to think of, of other things, but I'm just not, I'm I, I not just, sure it's accurate to say that if no other quote unquote eschatological events have to take place before Christ returns, which I'm not sure I'm not sure I would say that uh, because I would, you know, take, for instance, the ingathering of the nations to be something that has not yet been completed. And so in that sense, um, something has to take place. Uh, but in the sense that like Christ accomplished all right uh, through his death, burial, resurrection and ascension, all things have in principle been done. Right. Like it's 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 over. Yeah. Um, but those things still have to be carried out in history. And so um, I take that as basically what's happening is we have in the New Testament era, um, basically through the destruction of the temple, you have happening in Jerusalem, this this um, this taking of, in a sense, the, you know, the leaven of those who who would believe in Christ, which was a small number, right? The the 144,000, I think, may represent this in Revelation. I haven't studied Revelation a lot. I'm not ready to make full judgments on it. But um, but this idea that, okay, there's, you know, yes, um, this is a, a, a number uh, of true believers that listened to the word of Christ and were saved during this in-between time, the kind of changeover of, of the Old Testament era into the New Testament era. Um, but that leaven, that, you know, that, taking of leaven from that old dough um, is now been put into the world and God is mixing that. And if you know anything about, you know, leaven, what leaven is, um, think of sourdough. If you've ever used sourdough, right? You take a piece of it, you save it, and you put that back into the next loaf and you are, you know, mixing that in until it leavens the whole loaf, right? It, it, uh, it, it, uh, uh, the whole of the new loaf takes on the characteristic of the leaven that was brought. And um, so that that's basically what I see as the New Testament schema um, of, of what most of what the apostles are even talking about. This is why I would consider myself a partial preterist, uh, because I think that like there are times that clearly the apostles are talking about something that is the very end of human history. But the vast majority of the time that they speak of the end of an age, that, you know, the day of the Lord, these sorts of things, I don't think that they're speaking of something that's that's far in the future to them. I think they're speaking of something that must soon take place, right? Like something that is, it's on the horizon um, and it's not so on the horizon that it happens 40 days after the ascension or a year after the ascension or, you know, five years after the ascension. Um, but, and and this is why they have to encourage people and tell them, no, it's not, you're, yes, it's been longer than, you know, uh, than we thought, but what Christ said is going to take place, right? This this day of the Lord, this day of judgment is coming. And so be ready for that. Um, 
anyway, that's yeah. Well, yeah, I think that again, I don't want to say that God does not have further purposes in history, right? Mm-hmm. Obviously, he still is discipling nations, putting enemies under Christ's feet, right? These things are occurring. Um, I do think the most respectable uh thing to to put into the future is uh would be some idea of what it would mean for the uh conversion of the jews right that i do think would be uh um is something that is obviously another highly debated and highly complicated uh thing yeah yeah fully agree but i do like that so i that's why i'm saying i'm not sure i would put that as like yep that's um, something that i would want to say but i think it may be something that i would i would want to uh put forward as yet something that scripture speaks of that has not taken place well, let's give these gentlemen their last four minutes to attempt to put forward something else to give us to give us something to talk about. Apparently, we should be the ones having a, a happy debate. We're, I must have forgot to cross a T somewhere because it's not working out quite as planned. Right. Um, so, honestly, uh, it, it, it doesn't sound like there's that much difference except maybe in expectation. And Keith, you don't sound like some of the Amils that Doug and I know. So, you know, you're in good company there. I mean, Pastor Michael, you've never debated an Amil like me before. <laughs> Everyone knows Amil Army. That's <laughs> rise up. Rise up. <laughs> Am I right? Uh, yeah, we, so we absolve you of everything. <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> Right. Well, I may I may have to give this back if uh, <laughs> I may have to hand the, they, they they may take now. Are they basically talking about the radical two kingdoms, Westminster, California, Michael Horton group? Is that is that the like is that the people in the background of all of these like Keith? You don't sound like these guys. Is that kind of just yeah. what we're talking about? Just to put it a is. fine point on it for the listener. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, w- I would think so. They brought it up specifically, and I would expect that that's exactly what they are saying. Yeah. If, yeah. I'm not, if I don't you're, quite meet the standard. You are now an honorary post mill. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You're just not quite – you're not a fancy lad yet. You're a grumpy – you're a grumpy post mill. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Well, uh, gentlemen, it is at the uh, thirty-minute mark, and then some. Thank you both for. I wonder why they decided and, uh, number one to have time. a moderator. Um, <laughs> why they like? You know, I feel like they could no. have just had a discussion. Um, yeah. The two of them. I don't know why this is how it. I and I don't know why. Maybe this guy said, "Hey, I'll come do it," and they said, "Great," you know, um, and why it was only thirty minutes because as yeah. we've shown already just talking about this this is episode number three just chatting about what they're talking about because we're and part of that is we're trying to actually get into the weeds of why there might actually be some disagreement um and where there might be agreement but it it's not quite landing on the same lines right it's it's not quite those those maybe cultural expectations um, as much as we're, you know, we're doing at least a little bit trying to get into the actual exegetical ground. Yeah. Time. If they say anything here as they close. Otherwise, we'll come to our closing stuff. Appreciate it. Uh, all of us are pastors. We see the the gospel 
and the stewardship of the Word of God as being primary, and then all these other things that are just extensions. As as and I'm going to quote Prince Doug here: "Our theology should come out of our fingertips." Couldn't agree more. And uh, so let's pray for one another. Uh, Keith, I'm, uh, continue your great ministry down there in, uh, well, you know, there's there's Florida and then there's inland. So that's a whole thing. Yeah. And Doug, up in the panhandle of beautiful Idaho. Yeah. You're just too close to Washington State. That's all. Yeah, so that's the problem with Governor Kim Jong, Kim Jong Inslee. <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh, may you live in interesting times. Well, folks, this is uh, Pastor Tim Bushong. So glad you uh, you listened in tonight. And uh, you know, we're all we're all best friends now, and everything. We go hang out at the uh, Waffle House and and whatnot. But um, seriously, watch the yeah, watch the fight. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I forgot. At least, and, yeah, they know how to fight there. Yeah, <laughs> something like about here. the chair like here. <laughs> chair training process, right? Know this, that God is the creator of the universe. He spoke and the universe leapt into existence. God alone is the uh, the one who has the authority to determine the boundaries of men's actions and thoughts and lives. And if you're a lawbreaker, you need to repent and trust in Jesus Christ. Repent from your sins. Believe in him only and be forgiven. And all of us are united on this, I guarantee if you repent and trust in Jesus, you will not be disappointed in finding him to be anything less than a perfect Savior. Amen. This is Tim for Eschatology Matters. Thank you, Keith. Thank you, Doug. Bye for now. All right. Probably because he was the Just, moderator, because he hosts, has his channel called Eschatology Matters. I did not know that. Which I didn't know that he had a thing. And and let me just say one thing. Like, you know, he's a, he's a musician and stuff. I, I promise you that's true, even though it's hard to believe with how bad a mic he apparently was using during his moderation of, <laughs> of, of said debate. Well, Pastor Michael, so in closing, we need to do two things. We're both going to give an estimation of the other eschatological view now that we've talked about it for nearly three hours. <laughs> uh, and then our question that I think is maybe the most important is this. You and I find ourselves working, working together again. And um, what happens, what changes or what doesn't. Um, so yeah, what practical difference was the question? I think yeah. we. Yeah. So what we um, we need to do you do you want me to give my estimation? And I'm not going to give like here are all the best. Thi- like I'm, I'm it's going to be, again, very off the cuff. Right. It's like yeah. as we've talked, what am I? Like what? What is my reaction? Um, yep. Or do you want to start with? Why don't you go ahead, um, and then I'll go, and then maybe I will give what I think is a practical difference sure. or not, and then you can close up with that. Yeah, I. Um, so here is my uh, my estimation of our conversation. I think um, I, and I've said both of these things. Probably one of them I've said repeatedly because of how their conversation went. And one of these is actually going to be more related to what we've actually talked about. Number one, I think uh, the majority of postmillennialism is actually a theology of culture looking for an end times eschatology. As you can see with Tim asking him these questions, even saying things like what we need is a theology that comes out of our fingertips. Right. He's very 
he's very concerned. And as a Baptist pastor, perhaps he has felt an extreme lack of that in his own life in the past. Um, right. Maybe from the fundamentalist time where it was just a complete divide. We don't have anything to do with it. And so he's looking for an eschatology that will provide a, a matter of cultural engagement. And I think that that is what I often end up hearing from people about. Secondly, I think as Pastor Michael has described his explanation of postmillennialism, I think this one is actually a, um, I don't want to say it's a less of a big deal, or but it's it is motivated by a um, a partial preterist reading, and by what we mean by partial preterist is Pastor Michael does not believe we are in the new heavens and the new earth; we are in the eternal state, right? Uh, like, like yeah, I don't Christian. believe that. Just yeah, let me clear. Doesn't believe that, uh, right? He believes that the majority of the prophecy in the New Testament took place in Jerusalem, and I actually think. Um, what I'll probably another way of talking about postmillennialism is saying that if the majority of of the of prophecy is in the past, it becomes we are looking. It becomes it starts it starts it negates a lot of the end times language that maybe Revelation would push to the future or push to our current experience and put it in the past, meaning you're going to be your view of the millennium is, you know, like it's just going that it comes with a certain, when you read things in such a partial preterist way, it leads you to an understanding of the millennium that perhaps probably could be held by an Amil person, but right at the, uh, probably because of its historic, like we're looking for historic fulfillments of all these things, even though they're in the past, probably pushes you towards a post-mill reading. I think those are things, I think that's why they often um, come together, which is, which is you know, it's not bad, right? That's But that's what I think I've seen in our conversation as we've talked about it. That's my estimation. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'm going to, so what I'm going to do is I'm actually going to put these two things together, um, the the two questions uh, because really my assessment of amillennialism is that I'm, I mean, I'm fine with it on a, like on a basic level. Like if you tell me you're an amillennialist, it has no, like, I don't get sick. I don't, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't um, bother me because I think that there is a faithful way to read the text of scripture and, and come to that point. I actually think that the, where I, would expect to see the only practical difference between you and me or between me and, you know, probably most all millennials probably has to do with uh, particular exegetical questions. Mm. Whereas I see um, in the redemption of Christ this kind of, you know, chiastic move from the, you know, from, from the garden in the old Testament to um, the garden in the new, um, not, not as much as a, like, I, I see it as basically a, a progressive move back, right? Christ comes at the fulfillment of time in order to set things all right again. Um, and uh, often what I see, and this is part of my assessment um, in, again, because amillennialism is so broad, well, I think that basically I would fully agree with certain uh, certain amillennialists and I might radically disagree with, with um, others, is um, very often a reading of the 
the nature of the kingdom of God being the same at all times through history, rather than seeing the change that has come upon us starting in these last days, right? As, as Christ has come, as he has ascended on high, um, and, and how that is going to lead to the redemption of the whole world, the saving of the whole world, um, leading up to the end, right? So, so that is where, so that's where I think um, ultimately there's going to be a practical difference where it falls short is is honestly just in actually the the preaching of the text of scripture where there's going to be significant differences. But let me add this before we hear from you what there where there might be um, some practical differences. This is where I kept going back to where I think that we can end up in more or less the same place on a practical, in a, you know, uh, on a practical point is that you'll find this, you'll find this in first and second Peter, you'll find this in, in first and second Thessalonians. Um, you're going to find this uh, in, in Christ speaking, at, you know, on the, the Olivet discourse. Um, even if we would disagree that those, you know, speak about similar events or, or anything like that, when, when these massive, earth-shattering, like heaven-upending events happen throughout scripture, right? And this happens, for instance, you know, in in the days of Noah during the flood, when we're told that the 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 heaven and the earth were destroyed, right? They're upended, they're changed. Uh, there there's a, there's this massive overhaul and change. Um, this happens, you know, Christ says this is going to happen again. We get similar language um, later on. And in every single case, in every single case, what we are called upon to do um, is the same. So I've, I've been thinking about this in, in terms of First uh, John, um, John writing to the churches. This is in First John 3. He says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure, right? So that like looking to the day when Christ will return and consummate the, the final purification of all things, the, the final change of all things, the, the, this culminating event uh, of his return. Um, what John says, and again, I think you'll find this in Paul, you'll find this in Peter, you find it, you find it all over the place, is he says, so we should purify ourselves just just as he is pure, right? Like that's what we should do. Amil um, Army, lay down your arms. We have a friend. No, I think that this is I think this is perhaps the most important point. Like I think again, I think the danger, and you see it in all, I, I mean, probably most specifically in premillennial camps but obviously we can find it when we talk about culture when we talk about all these things we can find it in all these is is we absolutely should not hold these views in a way that our philosophy of mis ministry would be like well i couldn't work with someone who's on mill or i couldn't work with someone who's post mill like i think that would say something deficient about the way we view the ministry right this is what you kept hearing even in the debate uh, which is one of the reasons it wasn't very fun. Keith and Doug kept saying, well, we would do, oh, yeah, I would do that. Oh, I would be happy about that. That is what I would do. Because we're doing we're doing the things God has commanded. We're holding to his promises. We're, we're going to obey the same commands. 
and if you don't think you you if you don't think someone could do that i think that's actually that is actually a problem right that is um is where perhaps you're recognizing imbalance in you um or right someone else right if if you if their end times you would 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 be so radical you wouldn't want to work with them but right i, I think hypothetically even a historic uh pre-mill person an on-mill person and a post-mill person should in theory be able to have a the same philosophy of ministry yep. alongside now there are places where it will start to see seem out of place um yep. and and again i right this maybe this will be we're not we just can't do this now but right it just reminds me of john MacArthur engaging helpfully with his civil magistrate about them needing to um needing to you know allow the church to meet needing them to not um overstep the rule christ has given them but then having famously said many times we don't need to worry about these things that's polishing brash on the titanic right there was something about the way he at least used to speak about eschatology that what he said we should prioritize he in practice for the sake and the right good of the church of jesus christ wouldn't act on like he wouldn't act that way he understood actually telling my magistrate the church must worship isn't polishing the brass on the titanic yeah not that at all it's incredibly important and we should all um care and be part of it um and so i think that is one of the biggest and most important takeaways is that we are together we should be able to be together that our philosophy of ministries should be aligned and i agree as Pastor Michael said, that the difference ends up being, right, the thing that I end up with is asking exegetical questions I don't believe can be answered. So that's that's where we're at here on Restless. We can be friends. Let's be friends with everybody all the time. I love everybody all the time, to quote me from last week. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. You joined us. We did it in three parts. Pastor Michael, was this a good use of three weeks of podcast? I don't know. It felt like a lot, but I like I have I enjoy it, right? I do think that, and I think people like it because it's an interesting discussion. For whatever reason, for all of church history, we have all loved talking about revelation and end time stuff. That's everybody loves it. Everybody loves it because come Lord Jesus, right? Maybe that's why. Because the spirit of the bride says, "Come Lord Jesus." Yes. Um. Cool. All right.